According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening, family and friends. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight is Wednesday, March the 14th, 2018. And we are on the defender. I am so excited that you took time out of your busy schedule to come in and to partner with us and to just allow God to speak a word to us tonight. So I'm thankful that you took time out of your life to come in and sit with us. We are back at the desk once again. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight is a bittersweet moment. Uh, for one, is because we will be wrapping up uh, our broadcast uh, for the time being. But nevertheless, we will be back again. So We've had uh, quite a phenomenal year. It's been an awesome year. It's been wonderful to have uh, all of you that have tuned in every week, uh, every Wednesday, you know, at different times around the globe and to just come in and, and view uh, what God is, has, has broadcast to our spirit. So I want to give you a real, real heartfelt thank you. I really do. To all my family and friends and people that we never met, people that we may never, ever meet, uh, but you took time out to come on this broadcast and to allow uh, God to be able to speak a word through a messenger uh, to bring some words of life to you. So I want to say thank you. It's been quite an awesome year. We've had a lot of uh, interviews with different men of God that have given their testimony, uh, and it's been very lively, very empowering, and life-changing, so we're thankful for that. Thankful for you all coming on and just taking their time to, to sit with us. Nobody has to, to come in and sit with you. Nobody has to uh, listen to what you have to say. So we want to say uh, from the bottom of our heart that we want to say thank you. And uh, just to uh, give you another note, uh, we have plenty of material archive broadcasts that are on the radio station that you will be able to go back and listen to. So much of the material and the content is in-depth, and believe me that it is worth uh, reviewing and hearing again. So, uh, like I said, tonight is sort of bittersweet, but we want to just say thank you. We really want to say thank you. We really want to tell you uh, that we love you. We care about you. We pray for all the ones that join in on the radio broadcast and listen week after week. Uh, we lift up the broadcast, the Resilient Christian Radio Network, the engineer, the other hosts that are on the show, and we're just truly, truly, truly uh, in a place of gratitude uh, to have this medium to come on every week. So with tonight, that being said, uh, like I said, we are back at the desk again tonight. And if there's anything that uh, we would want to leave with you, the listening audience, if there's anything that we would want to leave with you, if there were some last words or rights that could be said, the title of this broadcast would be, Do You Know God? I'm going to say that again. 
the title of this broadcast will be called Do You Know God? And the reason that we state that is because truly this is the most important thing that you're ever going to face or know in your life or need to know. And I say that because God is the source of eternal life. He is the very backdrop of all creation. He is the reason for anything that is made or that can be made. He is the essence of that. And so for you and me, we are created beings. Our primary goal in life should be to know who this God is that made, formed, shaped, and created us. Because only through knowing God will you be able to navigate through life and be able to live a life that's worthy of living. So once again, the title of this broadcast is called, Do You Know God? And I'm emphatically stating uh, to all of the listening audience tonight, this is the one thing that you must know if you don't know anything else in life, regardless of what you might try to espouse to become, whether it be career, whether it be education, whether it be a prominent position, title, whatever it may be, your most important goal in life should be is to know God. And we have to define that. We have to break that down because just saying God, you know, there's a lot of different variations of things that people call God or they ascribe to be a God. We've talked about that in full detail in some of our other broadcasts. So when we say, do you know God, we're talking about this God of the Bible. We're talking about the God of the Holy Scriptures. We're talking about the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the progenitor of life itself. We're talking about that God. We're not talking about any of these other named gods, these creation fabled gods in the minds and imaginations of individuals and mankind that's been brought about throughout the centuries. We're talking about the eternal God. We're talking about the life-giving spirit. We're talking about truth, and that's who God is. We're talking about the one who came in the form of a man named Jesus, incarnated, lived, was crucified, died, was buried, and was resurrected again. We're talking about that God. So when we say, do you know God? That's the God that we're talking about. So we want to make that clear. Now, with that being stated, you know, you can look up the dictionary, and we took the privilege of doing that, and we looked up the word no. So we understand that when people say they know something, it gives them an advantage. When people say they know something, it gives them a keen insight. It gives them a corner to something. It gives them an edge. They have a, a gain access when somebody says they know something. So we looked up the word know, 
K-N-O-W. Now, once again, if you're just joining the broadcast, tonight, our title tonight is called Do You Know God? And we're going to make some observations, and we're going to declare some things in stating that. Now, we looked up the word know in the dictionary, and it gave us two different variant definitions of the word know. And you may say, well, Brother, Brother James, why are you bringing this out? The reason I'm bringing this out, because when we say, do you know God, people generally fall into one category or the other category. And for you and me, the only category that is going to suffice, the only category of knowing God that's going to be really applicable to you and I living a victorious life is the one that we're going to delineate and bring out. All right, so let's look at that. The word no, it's a verb. And so in the first instance, when it says no, this is what the definition says. It says to be aware of through observation, inquiry, or information. Did you get that? So the first definition of knowing is saying be aware through observation, through inquiry, or through information. That means simply that you know something because you've been studying it. Or that means that you know something because you ask a question. You meet a person, you don't know their name, you say, well, I'd like to know your name. What is your name? So you inquire, you ask, and then they tell you their name. They give you information. So you get that information. So now you know the thing that you've been inquiring about. Or it says observation. That means studying something. So you can know something by looking at a pattern of how something lives its life. It can be an animal. It can be uh, a certain uh, person. It can be a characteristics. It can be anything like that. Something that you study, you observe something, so you know something. This is how people develop uh, scientific knowledge or how they uh, do research so they observe something. And so when you observe a thing or something for so long period of time, you become kind of familiar a little bit with your observation, and you can say you know something about it. So that's the first definition when we say no. Now we're going to look at another one. The second definition when it talks about the verb know is this, to have developed a relationship with someone through meeting and spending time with them. Be familiar with them or friendly with them, intimate with them. So let me say that again. It says you, are, you have developed a relationship with someone through meeting and spending time with them. You become familiar with them or you become friendly with them because of the relationship. So, these are very critical definitions. And for you and me, family and friends, and our goal in life, we got to find out which one we're going to fall under. Now, 
You've heard many people say that they know God. You've heard that. You've heard many people say that. You've heard people that don't even have the Spirit of God living in them say that they know God. You've heard that because they know through the first definition. They aware through observation or inquiry or information. Well, they can say they know God because they know that it had to be an incredible, powerful force to be able to hang the stars and the moon up in the sky or to see the earth spinning on its axis. You see, so these different things, because of observation of things that are truly uh, in depth and it takes more than just mere words to be able to explain them. There's a force behind it all. So they can say that because of what they have observed. So we're going we're gonna to open up the word of God tonight to define knowing God. And we're going to find out where we stand when we say, do you know God? Because there's a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen, that are saying they know God and they're doing everything that's contrary to what God would do or what he would say or how he would act or what he would uh, give a check off to. But they say they know God. So let's look at the scripture. We're going to open up our Bibles. And so let's get a little a backdrop here. We're going to build our case. So first, let's turn to the book of John, chapter 14. I'm turning in my Bible. You can turn in yours. You know, we always say on this broadcast, it's nothing like having pages in front of you. You know, people, people, you know, they, they, they get their smartphones and apps and all of that, and they're looking at the screens. You can do what you want. I understand that. But I'm telling you, once you get you the pages in your hand, it will make a difference in your life. You can trust that word. So let's go to John chapter 14. And we're going to start. You know, we always say you got to get the proper context in order to get the proper conclusion. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get an understanding of where he's going when he says this. So let's, let's back it up, and we're going to start at verse 15. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16 says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now here's where we are. Verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why can they not receive him? It says, because it seeth him not. They can't see him. So this is why the world can't receive it, because they can't see him. Then it says, neither knoweth him. It says that they don't know him. But then here it says here, the next verse it says, but you. And these are those who have received the life-giving spirit of God in their spirit. It says, but you know him. And how do you know him? 
Well, he tells you how. It says, because he dwells with you and shall be in you. Did you get that? Now, that's a powerful statement that the Lord Jesus has just stated to us. He says that you know him because he dwells with you and shall be in you. This is when the promise of who it was to come was going to manifest himself. Basically, Jesus had not died and had not ascended to God and had not released this life-giving spirit called the Holy Spirit. But he was telling his people, he was telling them that this spirit is going to be in you and that's how you're going to know him because he's going to be in you. So we get a clear understanding here about what it means about knowing God. Because if there's ever a word, a phrase that's so misused nowadays, it's got to be that one. That's got to be one of the ones that's on the top list. People are always professing, saying that they know God. And here we're going to find out that people may know about him. But the definition says two different things now. So for you and me, family and friends, whether you are saved and unsaved, whether you're a Christian or whether you are a non-believer, you got to find out where you are on this spectrum. Because as we'll see, even though you may be walking in that rim or light of knowing him, you still may not be at a place where you really know God. So let's get a little bit deeper understanding here, okay? All right, we're going to go to the book of Titus, and we're going to go there in the first chapter, okay? Let's turn there. The book of Titus. In the first chapter, and Titus is after the book of Timothy. There's First Timothy, there's Second Timothy, and then there is the book of Titus. So we're going to go here, and you know we always say you've got to get a proper context before you can come up with a proper conclusion. All right? So let's read here. Let's do this. We're going to read here. We're going to read, and now we're going to verse, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 16. But we want to back up a little bit, okay, because we've got to get a point of contact, a point of reference. Now, this is Paul instructing Titus. He's telling him how you're going to oppose those who are false teachers. You're going to oppose those who are standing in the place of authority but really do not have the relationship that warrants them to be in the place of authority. So let's go to verse 10, okay? Here he goes. He says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceiver, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Now he's talking about those that was in the Jewish sect at that time. For us nowadays, that would be those who are so-called church leaders. It can be those who are within the church. Not all, but it can be some. So it says, whose mouths must be stopped. Why should their mouths be stopped, you may ask. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. The verse here says, it says, because they subvert whole houses. How do they do that? Teaching things which they ought not 
for filthy lucre's sake. Now, what that's meaning, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, is there's those who are standing in the place of authority, who are saying that they know God, but they're teaching things that are breaking up houses. Did you get that? What they teach is breaking up houses. It's breaking up houses, houses that are the houses of God. And not only that, breaking up homes that are houses that are supposed to be habitations for the Holy Spirit to dwell in there. So it says their mouths got to be stopped. Why? Because they are subverting. They're breaking up whole houses. They're teaching things that they should not be teaching. And there is the reason why they're doing it. It says for lucre or that's money. They're doing it for the sake of money because they're getting paid. So they have a career, but they haven't been called to that career. Did you get that? Now, I'm going to just let that keep going. So verse 12 says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own. What? Yes, it said a prophet of their own. So, yeah, there can be prophets that belong to certain groups that speak and teach things that are not biblical, that are not following along with the, 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 the preferences of God. So it said one of themselves, even a prophet of their own. Okay, because he belonged to them. He says, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Verse 13, he said, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them. He's telling Titus, he said, look, you got to rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So if the rebuke doesn't come, then there are people that say that they know God, they're professing God in all of their language, but in the things that you're seeing them doing, it means that they have no relationship with the God of these 66 books that we call the Holy Bible. Did you get that? Verse 14 says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So what is that telling us in present day times? That means that people can be laying down different doctrines and different teachings that turn you away from the truth of who God is. Yet in doing it, they're professing that they know God. So it says here, verse 15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. So what is that telling you or me? That, let me break that down on present day terms. That's saying that a person that is consumed in the body of sin, a person that does not have access to the spirit of God, it says unto them, they're already defiled. How are you already defiled? You're defiled by nature. You're defiled by how you come out of your mother's womb. You're defiled by being a son of Adam being a son of the flesh. That's the defiling that takes place. It says in unbelieving, because they don't believe. You see that? They're unbelieving. So the gospel of God has not penetrated their hearts. They're unbelieving. So for them, it says nothing is pure. So it doesn't matter what you bring their way. Nothing can be pure. Nothing can be right, because within their own being, they don't have the capacity they do not have the capacity to be able to discern and to be able to accept anything that is pure. Did you get that? 
Because it says even their mind and their conscience is defiled. So that's two different things. It says their mind and then it says their conscience. So you have a mind and you have a conscience. You have a mind, but then you have a conscience that resides inside your mind. You have a conscience that, design, that, that, that resides inside a place in your heart. You see that? So it says your mind, their mind and their conscience. Then here's the verse it says. It says, they profess. I want you to read that. Verse 16. They profess. That means they claim. They speak. They say that they know God. They say they do. Now, we just, we just witnessed all of the stuff that they're doing in the name of God. And they're saying that they know God. It says they profess they know him, but in works, they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now, listen, that is some strong, strong, strong terminology. Did you hear that? He said some very powerfully strong words in this. He said abominable. Now that's just uh, that's just grotesque when he says that. Disobedient. You know what that means. That means you just ain't gonna listen. That means that no matter who say what, you're not following that. That means God is is speaking one thing and you doing another thing. Disobedient. And it says until every good work they are reprobate. A reprobate is somebody that is turned all the way on his inside. Did you get that? They, I mean, they've turned so far away from the truth, they're going totally 180 to the way they're supposed to be going. When it says reprobate, that means that they have been seared so badly that it's almost an impossibility for them to be able to return. So that's a very strong word when it says reprobate. So once again, these are those that claim that they know God. Now they might be, as the, as the scripture says, uh, uh, aware. And as the definition says, they may be aware through observation, through inquiry, or through information. So they know about it through looking at something, studying something, asking about something, or somebody giving them information. Did you see that? All right, so let's go on here. Now, we're going to turn again. Uh, let's go to the book of Galatians, and this is going to be chapter 4. The book of Galatians, chapter 4. Let's turn in the Bible. Stick with me on this because we, we're, we're just building our case, but we're going somewhere. So the book of Galatians, chapter 4, let's go there. Now see, it's critical for you and I to get clear, clear definition. It's critical for you and I to know where we're going when we talk about knowing God. Because ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, you're going to hear a lot of people speak that, a lot of people say that, but yet in their fruits and in the works of what they're doing is something that is totally opposite. So let's go here. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to get a proper context of where we're coming at, so let's make sure we get that right. Now, we're going to start it at verse 4. It is talking about you having your rights and privileges, but we're going to, we're going to get a, a little bit more understanding here. So, in verse 4, 
Here he is. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Now he's breaking into a conversation because he's talking about if you belong to somebody, if you are, a, if you come from somebody, like, like your own parents, or where you were born from, you know, you come from a lineage, then you are heir. That means that whatever they have, you have access to. You should have access to. Okay, so it says here, verse 2, But it's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. You see that? When we were children, that means when you and I, when we did not have the knowledge of God, we didn't have the revelation of God, we didn't have him in our spirit, is calling us children at this time. It says that we were in bondage to the elements under the elements of the world. That means that, it's, that, that everything that was going on in the world, we were up under its power. Did you get that? Because it says under the elements. When it says under, it's saying that we were up under the influence. You know how when somebody's intoxicated, they're under the influence of whatever beverages they've been drinking or they uh, are abusing some substances, and they say they are under the influence. So it means that the influencer has the power to make that person act or do something that they wouldn't normally do. So this is what it means when it says, even so, when we were children, that means that we didn't have any uh, learning. We didn't, we didn't know how to discern. We didn't have an adult mindset in the spirit. We didn't know how to discern things. We were children. That means that we didn't know. Somebody had to tell us what to do. And so the world would tell you and I what to do. That's what it means. It says, so we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, it says God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. It says, verse 5, to redeem them, that's you and me, that's what he did, to redeem us that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, these are some very, very powerful and deep verses. We're just, we're just bringing out one aspect of it, okay? So verse 6, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's deep right there. That's powerful. Verse 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's basically saying that you were a servant. I was a servant. But when we become sons, when we grow up in God, when we receive the spirit of God, then we become heirs of God through Christ. We receive what he has. Because we're growing up in him. Okay? Verse 8. Then it says, How be it then, and this is the scripture we're saying, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Verse 9. But now, after that you have known God, then it says, or rather, you are known of God, how are you going to turn again to the weak and beggarly elements 
whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. Basically, that's telling you and me, family and friends, that's some very powerful language there, but it's telling you and me that once you come into the family of God and you begin to know God, how can you turn back to the things that God brought you out of? Now, that's a, that's a Selah moment right there. Once you know God, how can you turn back to the things that God brought you out of? See, there's, that's a dysfunction right there. That's an that, that's a oxymoron right there. That, those, that does not even make sense. So it says here that uh, you are known of God. And it said that you did service or you, you rendered your service, you rendered your life, you and me. That's, that's what we did before God came into the picture in our life because we did things. We were slaves into the world, into the world system. We were slaves into the things that had us under bondage because we did not know God. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, the title of this broadcast is called, Do You Know God? And like we said, this is a really, really uh, abused phrase in the body of Christ. It's abused in the world of, of religion. It's abused in the world of Christianity about knowing God. I know that there's many times in my life that I thought I knew God and did not know him at all. And even today, I'm still growing in knowing him. I can say for sure that I know more about him today than I did five years ago. That I can say. But it's still a growing process. It's still a every day. Because listen, when you begin to become acquainted with an individual and you become in fellowship with them, you begin to take on the nature and the characteristics of the individual that you're spending so much time with. Now remember, the second Definition of knowing God is where we want to be because the key word in there, it says having developed a relationship. So this is where we are in 2018, having a relationship with God. That is the most paramount and most precious commodity that you and I will ever have on this side of the earth. I'm going to repeat that again. Knowing God is the most precious commodity that you and I will ever, ever have on this side of the earth. Now, you're going to run into people that say that they know God, but they're going to be giving you the first definition. They just have observed. They're just asking a question or they've got some information. That's not where you and I need to be, family and friends. If you call yourself a believer, that's not where you and I need to be. We've got to know God. And the only way that we'll know him is by developing a relationship with him. And it will come out in our works, in what we do. It will come out in the fruits of our life. It will be seen who you've been hanging around. You know, if you put some cologne on, you're going to smell like the cologne that you put on. If you're hanging in the house where they're cooking fish, you're going to smell like the fish when you come out of the house. That's because that's the aroma that's in there. So when you get into the presence of God or when you begin to fellowship with God and really begin to know him, you will smell like God. Did you get that? 
you will have the aroma of God on you. It will be a fragrance that you carry with you. And you won't even have to broadcast it or have to speak it. It will naturally exude from you. And this is where we want to be, family and friends. In 2018, I'm telling you, there is so much trickery and deception that's going on in the, in the body of Christ. There's so much trickery and deception that's going on even in the world itself. And so for you and me, we've got to know God. So we understand that, and we really want to, to, to really bring this home for you. So we're going to pick up a quick story here. And I think this is really going to let it sink in. Now, this part of the story is for those in the second definition about knowing God. This will be for those that are listening on the broadcast who feel like they've got some kind of relationship with God. This will be for those who feel like they uh, have come to a certain point and they know a little bit about the Lord and they've walked with him a little while and, you know, they've got a bit of an understanding. But we're going to get a little bit deeper in this. So let's go to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Let's go there. Now that's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. I'm turning in my book. I hope you're turning in yours. All right, 1 Samuel. All right, so let's pick this up. Now, we're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start at the beginning. And I think this is really going to bring some clarity for us tonight and some help for us tonight because this is all about dealing with being called. And we've spoken about that on the broadcast before, but this is going to give a little bit more insight into what we mean when we say, do you know God? So let's pick up the story here. Samuel chapter 3. We're going to start at the first verse. It says, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now, I'm going to stop right there, just for, just for clarity right here. Okay, so to give you a backdrop of this story, this is the child Samuel. Samuel's mother, Hannah, was barren. She could not have a child. God blessed her and gave her a child because she prayed for him. She was in distress. She prayed for the child. She got the child. She dedicated the child back unto the Lord. She said, I'm going to lend him back to you, Lord, because you gave me this child that I could not have. So that's the backdrop, a bit of the backdrop on Samuel. So here it says, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. Now, we just, we just read here in our last verse about being children and how we can be children, not in age per se, but in predicament. Did you get that? We can be children not by age, but in predicament or in lifestyle or in the way we live or in what we know. So it says that the child ministered unto the Lord. So here was the child Samuel. He was already a called and a chosen vessel unto the Lord, and he's ministering unto the Lord before the priest Eli. So what does that tell you and me? You can be in ministry and not really know God. Uh-oh, did you hear that? Did I say that? Yeah. 
You can be in ministry and not know God. I know that's going to be hard for some people to swallow, but it's the truth. All right, so let's go on with that. It says, and we'll, we'll prove it out here. It says, and so, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Why was it precious? Because there was no open vision. All right, so what nobody's seeing, none of the seers was active at that time. Nobody had any vision, was no prophetic voice in the land at that time. Verse 2, it says, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim. There we are talking about vision again, that he could not see. Now, to be a priest, to be a prophet, you've got to be able to see. So we're saying that he could not see. So this is why the child Samuel was there. It says, and here the lamp of God, verse 3, went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. So here's this young child, this young prophet, this young person called by God. He's laying down to sleep. He says in verse 4, it says, it says that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here am I. So is the Lord calling Samuel, and he says, here am I. So what happened? Verse 5. And he ran unto Eli. He ran unto the instructor. He ran unto the teacher. He ran unto the one, the priest at that time. He ran unto the one who was watching over him, who was bringing him up in the admonition of the Lord. He ran to him. He says, here am I. He said, you called me. And he said, I called not. This is what the priest said. He said, I didn't call you, Samuel. He said, no, I didn't call you. He said, what you need to do is, uh, you, you know, he said, my son, he said, listen, go, just go back and lie down again. Go back and lie down because I didn't call you. It says then, here we go, verse 7. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. So I'm going to stop right there because this is, this is where we're going tonight. This, this is where we are focusing in on. I'm going to read that again. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Now that begs the question. He didn't know the Lord. Well, how he didn't know the Lord when he was called by God? I'm going to say that again. How did he not know the Lord and he was called by God? Because God just called him, didn't he? That's the scripture we just read. And we take the story back a bit further. He was even dedicated unto the Lord. His mother gave him to God. So that's sort of like being, you know, uh, uh, you know, having his baptismal, having his baby dedication and all of that. He was committed unto the Lord by his parents. But it says here that even after God spoke to him and called him by his name, verse 7 says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. That's the first thing. And then it says, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Verse 8, it says, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou did call me. So he went back to Eli again. He said, Listen, you, 
I'm here again, uh, Eli. Uh, you called me. And then so the, his teacher at that time, Eli, it said he perceived that the Lord had called the child. So you see, what I'm, you see where we're going here. He heard a voice. The voice he heard was the Lord's voice, but he thought it was the voice of his teacher. He thought it was the voice of the priest that he was staying with in the temple. So he didn't know the voice yet. He heard a voice. It was God, but he didn't know the voice yet. Did you see that? It says, therefore, Eli said to Sam, he said, listen, go and lie down and it shall be. If he called thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then it says, And the Lord came and stood and then called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Now, there's some very key words in here. Because first we've got to understand that the Lord does call. He calls us. Everybody is called. He calls us. Now, everybody doesn't answer, but he calls us. Now, I'm not talking about called to be a preacher, called to be a teacher, pastor. I'm not talking about all that. I'm saying he calls. His call is to everybody because he called us through his son, Jesus Christ. He called you and I to know him. He called you and I to walk with him. So everybody is called to know God. Everybody is called to know God. Now, whether they answer or not is a different thing. So this is some very powerful words here. Look at what it says. It says that he called him the first couple of times. And then he called him on the third time. And then when, when he came, when, when he called him again, and Samuel answered, it says, then the Lord came, and then he stood and called. So there's three different things that happened. Not only did he call as at other times, but he came and he stood with him. You see that? So we got to understand something very, very clear here, and it is this. Just because the Lord calls you does not mean that you know him. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to say that one more time for clear clarity. Just because the Lord calls you does not mean you know him. And then the second part is knowing God and the revelation of his word go hand in hand. Do you see that? Because in the verse, in the beginning, it said, now Samuel, this is verse 7, it says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Then it says, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. So when something is revealed to you and me, family and friends, that means that it is made known to us. It, we become aware of it. It's revealed. You know, you can know something, but then when it is revealed, that means you really got it. Did you get that? When it's revealed means it has really penetrated your mind, your heart, your spirit, your conscience, and you have grabbed a hold to 
what was information before now is revealed knowledge to you now. Did you get that? So we got to be very careful, family and friends, not to fall into the category of the first definition of just knowing God by just observation, inquiry, or information. You and I, family and friends, if we're going to live this life, we've got to know God through a developed relationship with him. Did you get that? That is the only safeguard that you and I, family and friends, are going to have in this life is knowing God. Because as we stated before, you're going to see many people come in the guise of knowing God. These are going to be people that will be in your midst. These will be individuals that will call themselves teachers in your churches. These will be individuals that will slide up to you as sideways prophets. These will be people that will speak to you and say, I got a word of the Lord for you. You're going to hear all of that. But you, family and friends, I'm telling you emphatically, you have got to know God and you've got to know God for yourself. Did you hear that? You've got to know God and you've got to know God for yourself. And another thing with that is knowing him is by the revealed word that he has given. And see, this is where many people, uh, so-called halfway believers walking the halfway line, they won't get it because they won't do the second part. You know, God comes and reveals himself to them. You ask God to forgive you for your sins. You get saved. You get born again. He comes to live in your spirit. Within, because he comes to live in your spirit, you can't just leave it there. Now the relationship begins. Now the honeymoon begins. Now the development begins. Now there's a constant communion that has to take place between you and your spirit and what God's spirit has ingested into you, himself, into your being. Do you understand that? So we mean that knowing God, that's a very intimate thing. In the Bible, when it talks about Mary becoming uh, pregnant with the Holy Spirit, and when it says that she didn't know any other man, knowing is intimacy. I'm going to repeat that again. Knowing is intimacy. When it says that she's never known a man, or it talks about that in the Bible, knowing someone, when it says knowing, it means that you have become intertwined, you have become connected, you and that individual have become one. Do you see that? And so this is what it means to know God. You, you and I, we can't just know God by mere information. I struggled with that for a long time. I thought if I just get all the knowledge, that that would do me just fine. And you will meet a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of information about God. They know about him, but they don't know him. They haven't been intimate with him. They haven't been in a secret place with him. They haven't given up their life to know who he really is. He hasn't become intertwined in their spirit and really living his life through them. And so this is what we got to be careful of. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, family and friends, we have talked about knowing God. And if there's anything that I could leave you with, that would be you and I must know God. You're going to have to know God because of the trials, the tribulations, the tests, 
the different things that's going to happen in life that has been happening in life and things that are coming. Because there are things that are coming around the corner where if you don't have the knowledge of God in your spirit, you will not make it. Did you hear that? You've got to know God for yourself. It's good that you go to a Bible study. It's good that you go to a church. It's good that you get teaching. It's good that you get instruction. But you and I, family and friends, if there's anything that I can leave with you, is you must know God for yourself. You must know God for yourself. You can't know him on your grandmama's knowledge. You can't know him on your father's or mother's knowledge or against somebody, uh, uh, somebody that's passed something down the generation to you. You and I have to take the responsibility to know God for ourselves. This is your safeguard. This is your salvation. This is your victory. This is your call in life. Yes, you have been called. You have been called to know God. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is James Foss. This is the Defender. We are on every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will continue to have our broadcast on the air uh, until we decide that it's going to be something different. But for now, we're going to keep on moving with what God is doing. We pray that you have been blessed. And thank you again for coming on the broadcast, spending time with us. We pray that you have been enlightened. We pray that you have been equipped. We pray that you have been empowered. And remember, if there's anything that you need to know in life, you must know God. God bless and good night. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inerrant and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give us counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.